This is the 19th season of Bass Talk Live. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Strike King Lures, Aftco, Pro Guide Batteries, X-Zone Lures, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, Spro, Gamakatsu, Big Bite Baits, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Beatdown Outdoors, and Sunline. BTL, coming at you. Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live. We're going to talk about bass fishing. Hard to believe we're already through another week. I've had a great run of shows this week. Ken Duke, Bill McDonald on Monday got into some really interesting stuff with Ken Duke in the second half of that show. And then yesterday, uh, some of the hottest underground smallmouth bass baits that are currently on the market with uh, Pete and Trevor from Omnia today. We have one of my favorite guests. He is a uh, he well, he's a BPT pro now finished sixth in the invitationals and punched his ticket to the BPT. And I mentioned on the show yesterday, I'm going to bring him in and his one and only gray, gray buck who looked like he just robbed an outdoor show with all that Z man, a Laztec behind him. What's up, gray? Oh, not much doing good. How about yourself? Uh, Oh, I've got a, I've got a beef, but we're going to get into that beef <laughs> in a minute. Uh, I, I mentioned on the show that I believe you have, was it last year or the year before that you caught a four pounder out of every great lake? Uh, that was, that was 21, I believe. Oh my gosh. That was already 2021. I, I think so. Yeah. That was fun. That was, I don't know if I'll ever pull that off again in my life or not, but I had to do it that one year. That was a lot of, that was pretty. Was neat. that, that was kind of a mixture of, oh my gosh, I'm like a couple of lakes away. And then you actually went out of your way to do that. Or how did that whole thing come about? Because that's ridiculously hard to do. Yeah. So I fish up at Lake Ontario a lot. That's just like my favorite place to go. Mm -hmm. It's about five hours from the house. So I'm always there. Then we had a, it was the year we had the BFL Super Tournament. That might even been 2020. Oh um, my gosh. And we went to Erie and then we went to Sturgeon Bay for the championship that year for the title. So I had knocked out three already. Um, when I was practicing at Erie, I had a, not the St. Clair's one of the Great Lakes, but I was fishing there too. So I caught a couple in practice. Then after that, my wife, she had flown out for the um, Sturgeon Bay tournament and we did a little vacation afterwards. So we went up to Lake Superior. We went to Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore, Seashore, whatever they call that up there. Mm -hmm. So I had the boat with me. So we went out on the water and we're looking at the big sea walls they had there, big rock bluffy stuff there. Well, of course, I had to make a couple casts while I was there and found one little spot that had a sand patch with a little bit of rock on it. And I caught like a four and a half. And my mind really started rolling there. I was like, I think <laughs> I only got here on to go now. So, um, yeah, on the way home, I did a little couple hour detour and made sure we stopped on here on and put one more in the boat. All four pounders too, not just a small mouth, but four pounders on all five. I just learned yesterday. They're five great lakes. So I'm going to use that stat, uh, all five of the, I, I thought there were six <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. But a four pounder on all five Great Lakes, a twenty pound bag. Yeah, four bigger. A lot of them were bigger than that. I think the smallest one was a four. That one came out of uh, Huron. I just didn't. I only had about three hours to fish before it got dark that night. 
Uh, congratulations on making the BPT. I don't think I've officially talked to you uh, since then, but that had to be both exciting. And uh, you finished 23rd at the Mississippi River. I had Matt Stefan on. He talked about it. He said it wasn't exactly an easy tournament to do well in. There was a lot of uh, anxiousness and nervousness going into it. How did you feel? And I mean, you were kind of in the position where you you had to catch him pretty pretty decent to stay up there. But I mean, it was very doable. Yeah, I knew a top 30 wrapped it up. So yeah. obviously that was the goal for the week, but probably a 50 cut would have been good. Which is enough. way easier to say than it is to do when the when it comes down to it. Like having been in that position in the opens a couple of times, like a 50 cut, you might as well have sent me to the moon in a couple of the times when I had to finish in the top 50. No, I so with how that one set up with where the position I was going into it, I was completely locked into pool eight. I was not mm -hmm. leaving. Um, I didn't want to not make the BBT because I got stuck because of a barge. That okay. was kind of my mindset. So it was good that I wasn't thinking about going around exploring. I usually I fished pool seven the last time we were there. So I had some history up there, but I just I fully committed to it. I found what I would call probably three groups of fish there. And the one ended up being a lot better than I thought it was the first day I kind of pulled in there. There was already, I was a late boat. There was two boats, but they didn't find the little like sweet spot in the eelgrass edge that I did. Mm -hmm. And I caught one on the top water right away. That was a like probably three pounder, which good one on the Mississippi. And then kind of went dead for a little bit there. And then all of a sudden they started pushing these little shad into the edge of that eelgrass. And it was every cast with a chatter really? for like five minutes. And they were all whatever, probably two and three quarter to strong fish. For the you know, yeah, it was, it was lights out. It was, I think I had like high 14 that day and it really kind of jumps our in. They did catch them better on the river than I thought it was going to just from how practice went normally 12 and a half pounds a day there mm -hmm. solid. And it was a little bit higher than that. And then I just knew the next two days, if I could go out and put 12 pounds in the boat, I'd be golden. So that was, had you seen that in practice? Those little shatter. Was that like one of those things where you go, go went out, you knew you had to have a top 30 and all of a sudden you were like, ah, gift from the fishing gods. No, nah, well there was, I caught fish there and they were blowing okay. up on shad the whole okay. time. So I knew they were there. I was surprised only three guys started there. Cause it was, it wasn't like a secret spot. Like everybody should have found this. I felt like, but luckily were you like, hey man, like it's uh, I'm, I'm fishing for the BPT here. Just back off. <laughs> Not on day one. Day two, the two guys started there again that did the first day, and they had 10 and a half, 11 pounds, and they gave me a lot of space. Yeah. I, it, was, it was very nice of them. They they knew it was kind of on the line without me even have to say anything. And then I was the only one that ended up making the day three cut. So I had you that. Got it to yourself. Yeah. It kind of fizzled out at that point. I think I caught three there that morning. I It was weird. Every morning I pull in there throw a top water, make like two or three twitches with it. I'd catch a three. So it was a good way to start every morning, but um, then it just kind of would die out and I'd have to pick up a chatter bait, a swim bait and kind of finesse them a little bit more with that sort of stuff. And then that last day I ended up catching a four was a four pounder. Biggest one I caught all week on a uh, chatter bait in a spot that it was probably, I don't know, five miles from there. Just a little eelgrass edge that kind of narrowed down and had some current going through it. And that it was cool because that was the one that put me into the Bass Pro Tour. Like I knew it was wrapped up at that point. So to finish it that way, if you go over to my Instagram, you can see the video of it. I don't get too like emotional or fired up on the water too often, but I kind of had a lot of a uh, pent up frustration, I guess, from missing it by a little bit last year. And it was all that came harder out. being back in the same exact position that you were. I think you finished what twelfth last year. 
I've, yeah. And, yeah, it was 12th uh, and they took 10 last year. So it was, yeah. I missed it by seven points. <laughs> was that harder going through a whole nother year knowing that you were like one bite away from not having to do the, the whole dog and pony show of the invitationals again? I think it made me want it even more. Really? Like, if you ask a couple guys I stayed with this year, like, uh, it was dark to dark every day. Like, there was no letting up, and yeah, I really wanted it. So, I'm glad it worked out. I put a lot of effort into it. I mean, are you pumped? You're already getting ready for it. You don't even know what the schedule is next year, but uh, uh, you seem like a guy who's like, starts preparing for something way in advance like it's yeah. based, just based on the wall behind you <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm excited it sounded like it was going to come out last week so i'm not sure what the hold up was hopefully we'll get it this week and um no depending on where everything is and how it lines up i might even go start pre-practicing them now go do some idling nice. time i love to spend two three days at a lake if i've never been there before and just graph it and use your Lawrence and just check out the whole size game, get it all dialed in. I'm If you looked at my waypoints for a lake that I've probably been to once, it's stupid. I put so many down, but it's, I mark every tree, every boulder, everything. And if I can figure out what's going on the week of practice, like the official, at least then I have that everywhere in the lake and I can run it. And I just feel more comfortable that way. So let's walk through this. So you get on a lake you've never been on. Uh-huh. You have, let's say three days of, Let's say four days because you don't have any kids. You'd spend however many days you want out there, Gray. You'd spend a week out there if you wanted to. Uh, you put your boat in, and everything you see on side imaging, you'll mark. So you'll have 500 to 1,000 waypoints by the time you're done pre-practicing an event. Now, how are you managing those? Are you putting like different icons? Because that would just be a disaster because none of those have you have caught a fish on. It's all preemptive waypoints uh-huh. no exactly um i have an icon that i use for boulders i got an icon for like smaller rock uh lawrence has a tree that i use a green one to lay down a blue one to brush pile and a red one to stump so then i have a kind of that organizational system and i got waypoints for other stuff too but that i would say that's some of the main stuff um and it lets you it's almost like having your you got your topo lines on your yeah. map and then I can just see like if there's a point, this one has stumps, this one has brush piles. And then if I catch one off a brush pile point, then I know which other ones already have that. It just makes you more efficient. And I think that'll be very important coming in next year because we're going back to having just two days of practice. Yeah. So you got to be as efficient as you can and really try to get on them quick. You'll you'll be the guy who's, who grasps for 15 hours without ever getting up? Yeah, so I did, actually did it last year at Champlain. Um Ended up going up there in, I want to say it was like May, early May. And I spent three days there. The first day was like 15 hours. The second day I was like 14. And I made about 15 casts there because I idled into this shallow area. And all of a sudden I saw these white spot, white spot, white spot. And there was just beds everywhere. So I was like, ah, I got to take it. And I caught 10 or 12 of them and then put it back down. And you have to put them back under your uh, deck because otherwise it's way too tempting to get up and just start doing some fishing. But yeah, no, I... I really do enjoy that part of it. I I've stared at those graphs for so many hours in my life. I've tried. I can't bring. What's this? What's this ticket to not just? I get antsy. Like I get to where I physically am like, this is, and I haven't seen anything in an hour. And then I start thinking maybe my side imaging's broken, <laughs> and then it's all graph over something. And I'll be like, nope, it still works. And then I'll go back at it. I mean, 
how many spots are you like how many like money spots would you say like productive money spots are you finding in a 15 hour day um it depends on the lake i would say a good example where it was successful sturgeon bay for that title championship i went up there before the off limits and i only had I think I had three days, but I only got out there for the first two, and then it was going to blow like 15 to 25, so it was going to be worthless. And I found that spot that I found on – I fished on day one and day three, I guess, but it was when I pulled up on the knockout round. I caught five of my first five drops, and when I found this in practice, it's a little like point underwater thing. It's got some rock on it. I knew from seeing how that set up and where it was, it was going to be loaded, and it, it, it paid off because I wouldn't have known where that was otherwise. It, it's just a giant flat underwater point shoal deal, mm -hmm. but that was the sweet spot on it. And I would say like the great lakes where I really know how they set up. Yeah. I, it's obviously more productive, but then you find stuff down. Um, yeah. But how like, long did you graph before you found that? Oh, probably. I don't know about that day. Five hours, 10 hours. I don't and know. you see nothing. You're just <laughs> like, you, you got tunes cranking. Are you eating like a healthy snack? You have like a, a shade umbrella over you. <laughs> Um, no, I, I do eat a lot when you start graphing. That's where you pretzels but, or whatever. But you're you not seeing that. anything. And then yeah. all of a sudden it just goes, but you, shining you, light of beacon yeah. of hope. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent, but I'm marking everything, like I said. So, and I don't know truly what's going to be good or not good. It might just be a one fish deal, like where you mark the lay down that, you know, is going to have one on it. That's just kind of offshore kind of. Not everybody's going to find it, mm -hmm. but then every once in a while you'll find a little sweet spot that you're like, man, this has got some potential. And that's, that's what I really, you get excited for, but yeah, it's usually a month beforehand. So you don't really know. Yeah. It just takes a lot of self-discipline, but I mean, then I guess you're also fishing. Cause then you go to like that championship and you top 10 it and that's uh -huh. paid off. And then you made 17 grand. So even if you spent a couple grand in fuel and lodging for the pre-practice, I mean, you're literally I, I mean, I get what I get it. That's that's how all the good guys do it. I just no. get there and start flogging the water with it <laughs> with a drop shot. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about those places up north is rock doesn't move. So it's yeah. going to be there forever. Yeah, that's why I'm interested. Uh, have you heard of this? Uh, the deal where they're selling the waypoints fish tips. I heard it on one of your podcasts. Yeah, uh, a month ago or so. That's where I, it's real. It's one thing. I think if it's like, hey, you know, they're, they're Carolina. So they're like, Hey, here's where the bigger blue backs are. They're schooling or something. Cause that's going to change. That's like pertinent information. But mm -hmm. when you start selling stuff on the great lakes and glacial deposits and boulders and drifts and all that, man, that's stuff that like your kids will be able to drift. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like in 30 years. Yeah. No. It, it, I mean, unless it's super shallow or on silt, it, it ain't moving. Nope. Nope. That's, yeah, it'd be it, hard for me to give that. I mean, it's hard for I. I would have difficulty giving some of that stuff up, like to a buddy in a tournament, let alone <laughs> sell it for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I go back and forth. I understand the idea of it, and I kind of like it. But I like you. That's mine. I found it. <laughs> I'm not selling that. Yeah, especially that's I said those those Great Lakes, the Northern Lakes. You're good at that. You're good at uh. You're good at Oneida. When was the last time you fished a big derby at Oneida? Well, the Open last year. I don't fish that unless it's a tournament anymore. It, it It's fun place to go fish a tournament, and 
I, I heard it fished really well this year. It's been oh, dude, it was in, big insane. I spent a week there for the pro bass camp with Kurt yeah. Dove, and everyone had between 19 and 21 and a half, 22 every day. Yeah, see, now that's fun. It didn't used to be like that. You used to have to go out there and grind to catch 15 pounds, and I knew if I drove another hour and a half up to the river, yeah. I could go catch 20 to 25. Yeah. And so maybe I got to start making that shorter drive again and go play out. There. But it was also because there hadn't been 250 boats, absolutely assaulting it for five days you could roll up on anything and catch them so yeah that place does not handle the pressure of those big tournaments well and that's that's what makes it really tricky and i think why i've always done well up there is just it's that idling time i've gone up there in april before when it's before the grass all gets grown and kind of can get dialed in with what should be the best you've idled areas. every square inch of that place haven't you i haven't done much on the east end I've only probably the three quarters of the way down, I would say. I've been to. East End is farthest away from the ramp where we always yep. take out of. Okay. Yeah. So, some point I'll get down there maybe, but then I, at some point you start spreading yourself thin and you can only hit so many spots. Yeah. Uh, all right. little bit of uh, housekeeping here. Uh, Gray, you're welcome to stay on for this segment, but I got all sorts of fired up this morning. I log on to my Instagram and I come across a post from Timmy Horton. Second, recently retired Timmy Horton. And this is all it says. It says top 15 of all time. Who you got? Here's mine. And then there's 15 anglers. Now, he doesn't give any criteria. So this could be what? Top 15 anglers who can eat boneless chicken wings. It could be boat drivers. <laughs> you know, it could be tackle junkies. You don't know. But then you get a feel for it pretty quick. And he had 15 of these. I was... I got unhealthily fired up over this so much so that I called Timmy Horton. He's going to be on at the end of the show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you, you get after him. See what he, you got to oh, find I out know. what that criteria really was. Because number one, number one is Jacob Wheeler. I got to go. read the top five just to prove number two is KVD. All right. <laughs> Number three, Mark Day. Wait a second. Did I just say that? Number one is Jacob Wheeler, according to Timmy Horton. Number two is KVD. Yeah. Hard to hard to go with that logic. You know how, think, you know how but... fired up I got? I took a screenshot of it. I sent it to Jacob Wheeler and said, do you agree with this list? <laughs> that's how fired up I got I... over this, Gray. Oh, that's hilarious. You know what? He responded with one word. What do you think it was? Probably not. <laughs> he said no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so uh, like i said this is all in fun this is what this is what uh podcasters and sports announcers and stuff dream of because there is no right answer to this it's an age-old deal top 15 in any but i mean timmy forgot generations of talent in this list and that his criteria wavers drastically anyway jacob wheeler kvd uh, his reason for Jacob Wheeler is he wins practically every round he fishes with MLF and is still not 35. Won the first two elite events he ever fished. No one, no one has ever done it at a higher level. Now, this is obviously a subjective list. Let me see if I can make it through this list without throwing my phone. Uh, <laughs> number two is KVD. Three, Mark Davis. Four, Amart. Five, Rick Clun. Six, and I'm an Okie, Edwin Evers. Seven, Roland Martin. Eight, Skeet Reese. Nine, Denny. Ten, Jordan Lee. Eleven, Larry Nixon. Twelve, 
the hack attack, 13 Bill Dance, 14 Davy Height, and 15 Ot Defoe. Now, yeah. when you discuss lists, you got to talk about lists like human beings are inanimate objects without feelings, hopes, dreams, desires, or souls. Because you have to be able to objectively, you can't be like, well, if he listens to it. So you have to take that out of the equation that they're actual people with feelings when you're discussing where they belong on a list. Do you agree? Sure, absolutely. I might be able to help you with that because I don't know most of them. Oh, you don't? I, how do you I, not know all these guys? You've been I, around forever. Yeah, I just personally, I, I haven't run into them. Like when I started fishing the FLW tour, that was when everybody was over at the Elite still. And then I've run into them here and there a couple. Like I know Jordan and some of the younger guys, but the older guys, I. Who who have you? You've never met Denny? Mm -mm, never have. Really? No. Rick Harris says he's awesome. I would love oh, to go. Oh, dude. Denny is the man. Yeah. I'd love to go down there to Obviously and go fish with the two of them. Have you met Davey? Nope. How have you, you've never run into him at a uh, media right, event, a classic, anything? No, the uh, I ran into a gas station at Champlain last year, I believe, when they were getting ready to go uh, to him and a couple of the other media guys were going back out for just to go fun fishing the day after the tournament got over. It might have been two years ago, whatever that was. But yeah, um, no, never really had a real conversation with him other than just talking to him for a few minutes. I need I need to get out more. Anyway, long story short, uh, Timmy's going to come on the show and we're going to dissect the list. You're a, you're a bass head. You follow everything. Oh you're yeah, more than welcome to stay on. Do you know Timmy? Um, know who he is, but never talked to him. Okay, well you can yeah get introduced cool. to Tim Horton. I've spent I've actually spent a, a lot of time on the water with Tim and his uh. He can get out there. I'm not going to lie. He can get out there. I mean, he spent a whole year on the Elite Series taking a handheld, handheld scale behind stage and walking around weighing everyone's bags before they went up on stage. But he's also a brilliant. That's a brilliant. interesting, though. <laughs> what, were the scales right? <laughs> he was just making sure everything was above board, Gray. I like that. I never even thought about doing that, but it does make sense. <laughs> but he... Uh, Might not be healthy, but... Yeah, he's a... Uh, a really good business mind. You know, he talked about what he's done with, uh, uh, with this crankbait, the Azuma crankbait and mm -hmm. the profound outdoors. And, uh, you know, when he came on, he's, you know, he had a, a decade run as a top five guy. Yeah. So, yeah. What was that 2000 when he got started the year he won angler of the year? And yeah, somewhere year? around there. And he always had yeah. the pro style Jersey with the flow and locks and that green oh, yeah. and white is kind of iconic. So absolutely. Uh, how good, how good would that look coming out of the back of a hockey helmet there? That would, that be, would be, you are, uh, I did see that you're, that you're still lacing up the skates, which means you're, how old are you now? I'm 33. Oh, dang it. Yeah, no, I'd already quit men's league and all that by 33. Does it hurt uh, now? I haven't touched I, the ice in five years. A little more sore, but it, I haven't been playing a ton with the fishing season. I've played, I guess, three times in the last uh, probably couple of weeks, but that was just because we kind of wrapped up. During the summer, I get if I get out there once or twice a month, I'm happy, but it's about to get real again where I'm going to be out there. I play in the fall and early winter. I'll play on three or four teams, so I can play two or three times a week and Holy get a little... Cow. Get a little exercise. I get decent again, and then I start traveling for fishing, and then all the hands go away, and I can't breathe when I come back in between tournaments and all that. You won but, the championship yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, that's the team I've actually played on. It was 
I was 16 when I joined it. My dad was playing on the team at the time, a couple no of way. his buddies. So I would get off my like high school practice on the other sheet ice, walk across the locker rooms and go play on their rink. Uh, it was like 10.30 at night. and <laughs> I was in probably 10th, 11th grade. You have to be 18 to play back then, but eh, nobody gave me too much of a problem. Uh, there's been a couple hockey players. You you probably, do you know the name uh, Darren Schwinkbeck? I know the name. I can't picture. He's from he's from up there in New York. He used to okay. weigh in Elite Series tournaments in an uh, Amsoil hockey jersey with the tie down and a fight strap on it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, That's he awesome. played like uh like federal hockey league professional yeah. level. Like oh, the geez. like the 100 bucks a week type stuff. Yeah. Those are guys that are going to square up with you no matter what goes on. Yeah, they're, there's there's been a couple a couple hockey guys. Um but all right, we're going to take our first break of the show. Uh when we come back more with Gray Buck, it is Wednesday. August 23rd. Boy, I got a bunch of stuff I got to get done by August. I haven't even started. That's not a good sign. Wednesday, August 3rd with Gray Buck. We'll be back. Maybe we'll get into some stuff on that wall behind him. BTL later. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years' experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. Shoreline Boat and RV, dock rash, storm damage, collision repair, that deep scratch or gouge from trying to access that secret creek. 
Shoreline Boat and RV can get your prized possession back in mint condition and looking good on the water, fast. All repairs are done in-house, so they're able to get your boat or RV back to brand new, quickly. All Shoreline's work comes with a rock-solid warranty. Find out more at ShorelineBoatAndRV.com. Kansas City, Austin, and Tulsa. Uh, we are back with the 2024 BPT qualifier gray buck. Did you celebrate like when you knew that you were in there? Like, did you go out and just tear the town down? I mean, lacrosse is per, per like bars per square mile. I think at one point was number one in the nation. Yeah. Like, then, not kidding. Really? That's pretty great. I can believe that. Now you say that when you drive through town there, you could really see it. Um, now I did up there when I got home. My wife had balloons out at the mailbox and all that stuff because she doesn't travel to the tournaments with me normally. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we uh, I got home. I got done on day three and I started driving. I wanted to get to the other side of Chicago so I didn't have to fight traffic there in the morning. So I got kind of after, but I was just calling everybody and talking. Everybody was calling me on my way back congratulating me. So that was fun. It, made, it was the quickest 17-hour drive from lacrosse home that I've ever had. Yeah, I love those long drives. I've I've only had like one of them, a long drive after a good tournament, but it does <laughs> it does go really fast because you're like kind of high for the first five hours, then you're on the phone, then you get in a deep conversation, then all of a sudden you realize you're halfway. There's makes, a whole system to it. You just fly. Yeah, no, it, every it's amazing how much more enjoyable that is than when you have one of those where you lost the fish and it took to make the cut or whatever it was and. It drives you crazy. You just think about it. You're sitting there in silence on your way back. And yeah, I guess I might have said October 23rd or something before he said, I mean, yeah, it is August 23rd. Not trying to jump ahead. Uh, okay. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Z man. You're sponsored by Z either that, or you just really, really, really like them or both. Uh, but this, and I talked with Pete from Omni about it this moping Demiki rig deal that uh gussie has done with the he's using a z-man bait i think have you gotten yeah. into that have you figured out this Demiki rig thing yet yeah no i've done it after he won the um not the classic but the first time they were okay there so like Tennessee three River. four years ago yeah i was like man there, there's obviously something to it i already worked with z-man at the time so i had all the baits and i really put some time in with it. It's amazing what you can catch with that without like with they'll you'll throw a drop shot at them. They'll swim down, look at it and they peel off of it where they've been pressured. And there's something to it. It really is. They catch you catch a lot more fish because of it. And I think it's just that you put it right in front of their nose where they don't have to make that effort to swim down at all. They just all of a sudden will open their mouth and just pick it up. Are you casting it or are you vertically? I'm casting it out. Usually like, obviously with like your active target out in front yeah. of you, I'll pitch it out about 40 feet and try to hit those fish that way and then kind of keep it right above them and slowly just, you don't want to go up below because if you go below them, they don't usually follow it down. And then there's other times where you do that and they actually just start slowly following it and you'll be right underneath and you kind of play with them then too. Why don't you think those fish will go down and below? Because I know that's the same thing with like a jerk bait with an Alabama rig why? I mean, you would think a bass would be like, okay, there's a shad two feet below me. I'll eat the dang thing. But you're right. It, it is really hard unless you they see it above and follow it down. Mm-hmm. If you go below a, a bass, 
They won't go down for it. No, I think a lot of that is they might not see it when it goes down past them with how the angle of their eyes are on top of their head. I think they're made to feed up in that direction. So mm-hmm. if they don't get that glimpse of it falling down, so if it's really clear water, obviously their field of view is a lot mm-hmm. larger. But um, if they don't see it, I don't think that's just in their eyesight then. And that's why you don't get that bite. Uh, Nate wants to know, do you cast on top of them or cast past and, and swim it towards the fish? It sounds like you do a little bit of that. Yeah, that's usually the better way to do it because then you have more control of getting that bait exactly the height because I try to keep usually like a foot or so above them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be three foot above them because then they're lazy and they don't want to swim up to it. But if you kind of come right to them and then keep it just above, they come up and just sip it. Is there ever going to be a tournament or instance where that won't play if you want it to? I wouldn't think so. It seems like everywhere you go, there's suspended fish at this point. And as you get pressure on those fish, especially the like opens or the bigger tournaments where you have a lot of people practicing for it, mm-hmm. they, it pushes them more offshore and they're just going out there and trying to get away from everybody. So they, there's always going to be those fish that you can catch doing it. It's just a matter of how hard are they to get to bite? And it seems like some guys are really good at getting them to bite. Like Joey Nadina, when he won that yeah, one out did. there in your place. That's well, that's all he does. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not dialed into that extent where, but he's doing the Z-Man deal. Like he's got that yeah. set of jerk shad and he's putting that right on their nose. And that it takes a lot of discipline to commit to that. It's interesting. You say that I remember. So I tried to fish that tournament. Like, like I was like Bubba fishing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Spinner bait, spook, 3.5 chartreuse square bill in the mud and when i realized that that was a real poor game plan on day one i ran up and literally i ran past joey in the middle in the middle of that basin down there like right as your head and, and i'm like i looked at my co-angler and i'm yelling and i said i'm screwed and he said what and i said i'm screwed <laughs> when, we shut, when we shut down i said Nadia ain't out there catching white bass. <laughs> and, <No. laughs> and he came, came in with all of it. And it was amazing. Uh, it was amazing when you take guys that have never been to a fishery because you don't get that litmus test very often. Like the Eufaula and you fished it with the Invitationals. Yeah. But probably 85 to 90% of that field had never been there. And it's very interesting how you guys will come to a fishery they've never been and just do things completely off the map that locals have just completely written off. Yeah, it it's really is amazing because you just come in with an open mind. And mm-hmm. historically, you might know they don't live in that bay or that section of the lake. And all of a sudden, they figure them out how to get them to bite because they are there. It's just mm-hmm. whether they go suspend or maybe they're doing something weird. It's, it doesn't make sense to us, but when you're a local there, I've seen that on the Chesapeake Bay when the elites have come there a couple of years and you'll see this back. There's no fish on that stretch of docks. There's only a foot and a half of water. It's all silty over there and they're catching them out. I was like, well, what do I know? Your year was wild because with the exception of the Mississippi river, which it's hard to have a freak show bag, that 15 pounds, Mm -hmm. you had like one, real outlier day that carried you i mean it was the difference between one day was the difference between 50s in every single event and like top 20s in every single event like you went 18 12 12 at okeechobee you went 10 16 18 at clark's hill you went 18 12 13 at eufaula you went 13 13 18 at lake of the ozarks and you went 
816 at the Potomac River. Like, that's crazy to have a mega bag every single day of the first five events. Yeah, no, and that's what you need to carry it through. It, it drives me nuts. That uh, Okeechobee one, when I caught them the first day, it was a lot of fun. David Walker was right next to me. He had like 25 or he was leading the tournament. I remember that. I remember and, that. Oh, he was right next to you. Oh, we were we were talking. He, he came up to me. He's like, I forgot my cold tags. Do you have any cold balls I can have? <laughs> so I gave him a couple. You could just beam them and all that. But um, yeah, that one, we were around him in that next two days. Like I should have had at least that again, both of them. And it just, I didn't put them in the boat. It just, well, that's fishing. Like that's how it goes. But you need that one day to really kick you up. And then Clark's Hill, I drastically uh, underestimated how much weight it was going to take there and how much largemouth we're going to play. Cause I had this spotted bass plan to go out there and catch 12 and a half, 13 pounds. And you see that well, I think I had 10 something. So yeah, was that 10, I, 12 as spotties? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and then you just said screw that and went large. You fish in the second two? Yep, exactly. And I got dialed in. I really, if there had been a fourth day, I think I could have caught it even bigger back because I really started to figure out how those fish were moving, how they were setting up. And they were all coming up to spawn, but I figured out there's little pre spawn areas in that uh, like five to eight foot range that they were stopping on. Mm -hmm. It was fun. It really was. Um, and then another one like that Potomac tournament. I, I know the Potomac. I fished yeah. down there a lot. Like, and to say I caught eight pounds the first day, I don't think I even had eight. I think it was like seven something. Seven thirteen. Yeah. You couldn't send me out there and do that again all year. It, it just baffled me. I kind of committed to it knowing the history of the place. Mm -hmm. I had an area that I got some really good bites in practice, and I thought I could swing on it and really have a shot at winning it. And there ended up being two guys that top ten out of it. One was, of course, Brian Schmidt. And then another Shocker. guy from, yeah, exactly. And he just, he only had six or seven bites that first day, but he put him in the boat and I only had three bites down there. And I was waiting for the low tide to show up because it's usually that last hour, two hours of outgoing is when they'll fire, but it wasn't until 1230 that day. So I kind of committed to that area and just was hoping I could pick a couple off in the morning. And then once we finally started to get into that little sweet area that I would put two or three good bites in the boat. And when that didn't happen, Obviously, I had to make some adjustments on day two. And I went around the corner from the uh, takeoff. The first 10 minutes, at 20 minutes, I had four for 10 pounds and then put another one in the boat a little bit later after that. So just kind of a miscalculation that day. And uh, it, it, it still frustrates me because I kind of had that invitation or the Bass Pro Tour wrapped up pretty mm -hmm. much going into the Mississippi kind of like Matt did. Yeah. But it is what it is. It all worked out in the end. I mean, yeah, you'd have been in, you'd have been rivaling Ron for the angler of the year. That's what I did. I just was looked at it. And I mean, that was the one that you probably would have expected to be in the top 10. And that was your worst, your worst derby of the year. Isn't it funny how that works out? It is. I hadn't ever been to Ufala or Lake of the Ozarks or Clarks Hill. And that's a hundred percent preconceived notion, isn't it? That's a head. That's a mental thing. Cause it happens to so many guys. Fishing history is all it was. I knew what the potential was there and what could happen. And I did actually, I saw Brian catch a couple of those fish mm -hmm. that he was doing. So I knew they were there still. I knew they didn't just leave. They were just, they locked up. They didn't want to eat that day. It's a great, it's a great list. Uh, you mentioned Stefan, but uh, Marshall Robinson. Have you ever had a chance to talk to him out on the Invitationals yeah. this year? Yep. I've talked to him in weigh lines a bunch and we were talking a lot there going into the uh, final day at 
Mississippi because it was him and Drew Gill mm-hmm. were battling it out trying to get that last spot in the rookie of the year. So, yeah, I did. I, I talked to him. He's very good kid. And then I actually had his younger brother, Mitchell, right after yeah. he won that was it the national championship. championship. He was my co-angler up on the St. Lawrence for the Toyota. No way. Yeah. Did so he I, smash him? He, he only ended up with four. He had a really good one. He had like a almost five pounder and he had a decent bag. He had like 13 pounds with four. So he was yeah. around them. It was just, I wasn't around a ton of fish that were real active. So I think I had 19 pounds. I had almost a six the first day, but you know it, what? We, we had fun. Uh, sorry. It reminded me you, you could write a really good book. And we all could on co-angling the St. Lawrence because I've, <laughs> I've, fished four tournament days up there and i've had three co-anglers where i thought i had it under control and all three of them had a different method to get the bait where it needed to be (laughs) before my bait got there like the last guy okay so i had the dude who used the real heavy weight so when you're drifting it drops straight down and Mm -hmm. goes across your drift that's the classic co-angler on the st lawrence right kill you then I had uh then then I had the guy who would do like the pit cast behind the boat and then just work it like back up as you drifted. So he was constantly casting, oh, yeah. but he was getting it down, so he was getting the reaction bite. He caught a nice limit. But then I had one that totally mind screwed me on the last morning. So he was standing in the back corner of the boat casting behind the boat but really in front of the boat because you're going backwards right you yeah. visualizing this yep but he was using a light carolina rig so it would peel the line out back and then he would engage the reel and then drift backwards with his line behind the boat which was actually in front of the boat where his bait was dangling and then the weight and he could see my graph up front so he knew when i was going over the juice dude in the first like 15 minutes he had like 10 and a half 11 pounds on three in the boat and was just boat flipping them just cranking them on 18 on a sea rig freaked me out man i, I mean a, you can't defend against that no and that's the i hate fishing tournaments out there where you have a co-angler because that's exactly what happens you can't drift the stuff like you need to. So then you're trying to spot lock on and cast that and make that presentation. But it's, nope, it's no, not nothing right. wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. No, they were all, it, I had great co-anglers, but yeah. I mean, the dude knew what was up and he That's knew that I couldn't defend it. And yeah. I knew that I couldn't defend it. And he was just swinging that little crawl on the rig and just, and I mean, dude, just burp, 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 boat flip three and yep. a half, four. No, it, it's a, it does mess with your head though. Cause if you do it long enough, you know, you're going to get your fish too. But you're running the boat. You want to be getting them first. You don't want to have to be playing that game. Yeah. So what are you going to do? During, what do you have planned during the offseason besides a lot of hockey? Um, next couple of weeks, I'm really just working on getting everything lined up for next year, talking to sponsors and that sort of stuff. And then over Labor Day, we're flying out to Colorado. My wife and I will oh, do a nice. national parks trip every year. I so we got, a, we got a wedding on Saturday from a family friend. And then we're going to spend a week in Rocky Mountain National Park. So I'll break the fly rod out, go do a little trout fishing out there, find some creeks and a little the uh, high alpine lakes and have some fun, hopefully. That's, yeah, you're an outdoorsy guy. Oh, uh, I just love fishing. I'll, I'll, 
I don't care what I'm catching. Like, I went you out. Off, yeah, I went out offshore with my buddy. Yeah, off Jersey's coast, we mm-hmm. went out to the canyons out there. Where we were trying to catch tuna. They didn't show up. This uh, it was on Sunday. They didn't show up, but we found a couple of those crab pots that are just out in the middle of nowhere. And you dr- we trolled by them, and then we'd actually take um, bait and just pitch it over to them. We were catching the mai mai off of them. It was a blast. We had a really good time. What's your uh, What's your oddest trip? Like oddest oddest species because i i vividly remember catching like one of the most fun trips i've ever done is like there was a month where we caught carp on cicadas oh yeah and, and uh, i loved it yeah that's a fun one i got really heavily into yellow perch fishing i think i actually texted you the picture yep, of these back yep, in yep. march i had never done that on purpose where you go out there and catch them when they're all schooled up in the spring and that's silly that's catching it's not fishing you catch two three hundred of them in a day and you're throwing back the eight to 10 inches you're keeping the 10 to 14s that was pretty neat i really do like going down to florida and doing the like exotic deal catching the peacocks the clown knife fish we caught this year for the first time i haven't done that but i do have a buddy who's like hey come on down next time you're down i'll take you the are the clown knife fish as crazy in person as they are look on the internet they are and it's the most bizarre bite when you hook them how they're like kind of like eel shaped uh-huh. You hook them, they swim backwards. So when you whack them, instead of like coming forward and or going to the side, they go back. And it, if you get a big one, you can't stop it. It's a really bizarre feeling. I've never hooked a fish that felt like that before. But um, yeah, I went out with a buddy down there. He's actually my co-angler at the James River for the Open last year. Um, it might be, I wonder if it's the same guy. Is it Justin Jones? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, no, he's, he's a, a good dude, dude. I so, saw him at the St. Lawrence this year. Yeah, so that day we had the fog delay at the James uh, the previous year. We were hanging out talking. Like, I don't, you talk to your co angler throughout the day, but like, we really got to know each other because we had two hours to kill that yeah. day. And, and he's um, an interesting dude. He is. He's awesome. We had a great time. I'm, I can't wait to get back down there and do that again with him. I've never caught, yeah, the peacock and the clown knife, if not, but the yellow perch. Uh, did I, did I tell you I went? Uh, out with Michael Simonton and brought my dad up and we did two days out there on Erie. Yeah. You told me you were going to, I didn't hear. Did you guys catch them? Yeah. It was like, it's, it was the weirdest thing ever. So have you ever seen a perch spreader rig? No, it's like here. I'm going to, I don't, I don't even know how to draw it. It's the weirdest thing ever. So it's like, uh, let me see if I, this is uh, uncle Frank would, uncle Frank would (laughs) fire me for this. It's like a sabiki right. sort of deal or no? No. Okay. So let's see if I could do that. Okay. Okay. So that oh, thing yeah, in the yeah. middle is a is a weight. Okay. And then oh. your line attaches to it. And then it's like it's wire. And then you put your hook on the end of the wire with the spinners on it. And you drop that on the bottom and just like bang it off the bottom. And then the perch eat the ends of the two hooks. It's the weirdest thing. I, like when nope. Simonton gave it to me, I was like, this is dumb. And then, so I was like trying to do all sorts, you know, drop shot and the minnow and stuff like that. Yeah. No, that thing works the best. <laughs> no, no bait on the hook. Just the no, you put a blade? minnow. You put a oh, minnow. you do put. Oh, okay. But I mean, dude, yeah. the thing is just. I mean, it looks comical. How heavy is that weight that was on it for the loop? Like an ounce. Oh, it's heavy. Okay, like three quarters of an ounce. Yeah, so it's getting down there quick. Yeah. All right. And wow. they're on. How deep were you guys fishing? like 19 to 23 on mud flats and you just drop the oh. anchor and the fish like come to you. <laughs> you well, just sit there and he's like, Oh, here come a couple, you know, a couple little dots. That's what, 
it's so fun going, I think, going out for a different species that you don't know, understand what's going on or how they set up. It just kind of opened your mind. Oh, 100%. They don't, it's not like a bass. They don't have to be on a piece of structure. They don't have to be in grass. They, like the mud flat deal there. Why would they prefer that? But who knows? And it's, it, it's fun. It makes it interesting and gets your mind going every time you're out there trying to catch something. You're you know. kind of in the neck of the woods of salmon and trout and stuff, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I got to get up to usually Lake Ontario, like Salmon River, Oswego River. They have the salmon that come in there. I've done that a couple times with buddies. And then my grandfather and I used to go up and troll out in front of them and about this time of year in August. And you would catch them on like downriggers and stuff out in 50 foot as they were staging to go up the river. That was a lot of fun. We used to do that a bunch. And then the trout fishing around where I'm at, I'm still a little bit south in PA mm -hmm. for it to be real good. But when I was at Penn State, it's like world-class out there. Like some of the best stuff on the east of the Mississippi River. And fish Spring Creek a lot. Uh, Penn's Creek were two of the big ones. And the Can you get away from people? Or uh, those trout, Is I mean, is it like Jersey fishing? No. So um, I would fish all winter. I like, My favorite was like January, February, and your guys are starting to freeze or freezing. And there'd be nobody out there and this fish would eat a little jerk bait better than anything I've ever seen in my life. So if you were willing to be cold, you could have it to yourself. But if you went this time of year through the early fall, you were kind of spot hopping each other. It's not like opening day of trout season. And like you're saying in Jersey or in Pennsylvania where I'm at, where you catch all the stock fish, these are still native ones. So they're, yeah. there's not quite as many people out there, but it, it was fun. I really did enjoy that. And I learned a lot about, fishing current from that as well just kind of you see the seams and the eddies and how they would set up on front sides of rock sometimes and it's pretty neat kennedy's big on that on the trout streams impacting oh, yeah. like how that's why every time there's a flood or some crazy thing on the alabama river or pickwick or something he's always right up in the mix and catching him that's because of how he was raised and where he you know all those little trout streams and seams and currents and eddies and all sorts of stuff I know, and I have, a, for some reason, a hard time figuring that out on the St. Lawrence River because it's so big. Like, if you could be, like, a, maybe a drone or something and see how everything's really setting up, yeah. you would be able to, I think, dial it in better. Just my brain doesn't work that way on the when you're right there. Like, I can see the seam, and I'll be fishing it, but there's a sweet spot in that seam if you could see the actual current, how it was swirling. Like, that and means there's no quicker. current, or there's very little current for a stretch the size of a room, maybe. Like, this the... 10 to 20 foot stretch where that boulder comes over or where the rock comes up and it creates that. I mean, mm -hmm. so that's why those fish sit there, right? Because they don't have to work as hard to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. They'll sit either on the yep. front side or the back side. The front side always blows my mind because you wouldn't think there's still a lot of current there, but it really does slow down in front of it and they let the bait come to them. And that's usually the biggest fish. It seems like that they're kind of dominant and they push in there and they want to be sitting there waiting to get the first, uh, like swipe at the bait come by them all right we're gonna take the next break uh we're gonna try to get timmy horton in here you're gonna all stick right. around for timmy horton because i gave you the list you're now part of the list all right, all right. you're with me on that it, it that it that it i mean there could be some changes to that list right i'll be interested to see what he has to say about his criteria how he's coming up with always this because it, it's all over the place Always politically correct. <laughs> All right, we're with Gray Buck. I don't know. We're 50-50. We might just come back and close the show out. If Timmy doesn't jump on, we might have to do a, an emergency BTL afterwards. But uh, BTL on Wednesday, August 23rd.
Great buck. Oh, I got a I got a couple more Aquaview questions after. I think the last time you were on, I went real hard on the Aquaview questions. Yeah. Uh, and I think my line of questioning is a little bit more refined now. But I still All have right. some questions. Let's do so it. Detail on a Wednesday. We'll be back right after this. The great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastics from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the Cliffhanger Worm and the Ramtail Craw. Great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that. Several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year, catches fish all over the country, and I think it's going to catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat. So you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors including Pearl Shad which has this bleached out white look but it's got this pearlescent really really pretty. We've got Copper Shad which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back really really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns back by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips. So if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing, from household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. Hi, welcome back, BTL on a Wednesday. And every once in a while, 
an advantage of going live four days a week pops up and i got up this morning i did my usual thing i get up i brew a, a cup of uh uh, Black Rifle Coffee, not sponsored, no affiliation with them whatsoever, just because they just so support fishing in the outdoors, and they're in Walmart now. I go and I drop like 80 bucks on Black Rifle every other month. Put in the Traeger. You a coffee guy, Gray? I'm not. I don't drink coffee at all. Never have. And somehow- You're always so energetic. What are you? Are you just natural energy? Apparently. I guess so. The only... Uh- I'll do. A little, I'll drink iced tea every once in a while. Get a little caffeine that way, but no, no coffee. Too much time. I feel like in the morning, I need to just get out there, get on the water right away. So I just kind of roll out of bed and go. I can literally have a cup of coffee by hitting one button. <laughs> All right, well, maybe I got to start <laughs> getting into it then. You should try it. I mean, I'm not doing like the filter stuff. I know some of the guys are into like the natural coffee now. But anyway, the beauty of going live is you can you can have things on as they happen. Hmm. And uh, I've just pop up uh instagram and there's a post from tim horton eight hours ago which means it which means it went out i think at like one in the morning maybe i don't know maybe it was just reflecting late at night but it's what's Tommy doing (laughs) i don't know it's his top 15 and i I will excuse you from this conversation if you want but you are more than welcome to stick around i would suggest that you stick around yeah i'm definitely sticking around to go all right so there's tim right there (laughs) What's up, Mr. Horton? Thanks for jumping on BTO. Hey, you know what's funnier than a 1 a.m. post, which you can't schedule too now, man. So is uh so I'm riding with my dad this morning and and, and Lord, I get a text from Matt. I said, man, you got to get on. And uh brother, I know how passionate you are about it. That, that's what that, all that energy is what makes this so fun, ain't no doubt. All right. This is a there is no right answer to this discussion. This is what why it's on FS1 at ESPN over every major sport that's ever existed. But it is fun, and you did do something almost sacrilegious in this list, Tim, which is you put Jacob Wheeler ahead of Kevin Van Dam. Mm-hmm. Right, right out of the gate, explain I, your reasoning. Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess if you look, I, I'm a big – you know what got me on this, actually? I was, I'm a big baseball fan, and I'm reading this, okay. deal, on, reading this deal on Roberto Clemente last night. And I was up at 1 a.m. Kim and I, we we actually had a day off and enjoyed ourselves a little bit last night hanging out. And um, so I'm reading this deal on Roberto Clemente. And, and where does he, where would he have list been with the best ever in Major League Baseball? And it got me to thinking about Aaron and, uh, and, and where he, you know, where he kind of fits in on that and what would have been with Aaron. So that kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, it's kind of what sparked that. And it's weird, I guess, how stuff takes us in different roles with, with all the other sports. Um, but to deal with Wheeler, I, I just, I just feel that he's, he's the best that, it, that has ever done it. I think if you look at, um, and that's not a knock on Kevin, gosh, I, mm-hmm. I love Kevin, Kevin, Kevin is, uh, if you probably look at guys doing it for a living, you probably got him and Bill Dance that have influenced more people wanting to bass fish, um, and do it for a living than anyone else. So that that's definitely not a knock. And if you look at my post, you know, I definitely said Kevin has the best resume of anybody. I just mm-hmm. feel Wheeler, if you look at it from a standpoint of major league fishing and you look, man, I know you've always had a big debate on cumulative weight tournaments versus tournaments mm-hmm. that start over on a final day. And what, what does that lead to in success? If you look at our events, for the, since since the Bass Pro Tour has started, and even the Cup events before that, 
Jacob wins the first round almost as much as he does it. It's insane how much he wins the first round. Um, and then he cruises because he goes to practicing. And then, um, you know, different things happen and he may or may not win the event. I think if events were cumulative, I probably would say he would have about 10 more wins on his career. I think it's easy to say that. Um, and I just think he's the best that's ever done it. You know, I, I feel that way about Barry Bonds. Currently, right now, not potential. You believe right no. now with the resume that he's the best that's ever done it. You know, if you want to look at resume, who's the better quarterback, Peyton Manning or Eli Manning? Who's the better quarterback? Yeah, but what we're not talking about the best to ever do it. These are brothers. You have to do Tom. You have to do Tom Brady if, or no? Okay, if if you put a top ten list, Eli Manning and Peyton Manning are going to be over there. Who's ahead, Peyton Manning or Eli Manning? See, I think Peyton Manning's the better of the two quarterbacks, but Eli Manning has two Super Bowl wins. So is that what I, I feel like? I feel like Jacob Wheeler is the best that has ever done it. Um, and that's not a knock on, on, you could argue Roland Martin at the top nine AOIs. You could argue, um, I, I probably should have had Jay Ellis on that list. He's probably the one when I go back and look at it now that I probably should have had on there and maybe a Brian thrift as well. But, mm -hmm. but I think, um, I just think Jacob, it, it, it's, it's not about the titles. I think he's the best that's ever done it. I think he's the most talented angler that has ever competed at professional basketball. Doesn't talent equal titles, Tim? He's seven Bassmaster Angler of the Years and four Bassmaster Classics behind Kevin. Like it, he could win one of those titles for the next two decades, and he still wouldn't have caught up to what Kevin's done. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think he will. I think he's the best that's ever done it. I think he's the most talented angler that's ever fished. That's not a knock on Kevin. Kevin, Kevin started at nineteen years old. Um, Kevin. So did Jacob. Uh, and yeah, but not at the not at the top level. He not won the All American at nineteen. Yeah, but that yeah, but that's not going to be considered a classic win. That's not going to be considered an AOY. Okay, um, and, and that's, that's not a knock. A, I know, but that would make Kevin even more likely to be number one than since you're not considering that. Yeah, it's um, hey, it's it's a healthy debate. I just feel if if it's not about the titles, you notice I got Mark Davis three. I, yep. I think I, I think Aaron, uh, I think. Um, that uh, Roland Martin has has a better resume. I think Edwin has a better resume than Mark Davis. I think Mark Davis is three on talent and and how incredibly talented that guy is. I think uh, I think a lot of things happen with people with different things going on in their lives and, and everything. If you put uh, you put Mark Davis uh, in in different situations from from uh, from what he was as a talented angler to, I, I just think he's third, you know, so, okay. But J uh, jump in here, Gray, what's your opinion on the first two? You're, you're a young 30 something angler, 33 years old. You just qualified for the BPT. You obviously grew up. You remember the KVD era. You grew up in the Wheeler era with fishing against Wheeler and watching what he's done. What are your, and this yeah. is a state, this is a safe space, right? Fairly safe, unless there's anything <laughs> outlandish that's said that I will call you out on it because there is one other guy on this list that I have a bone to pick with Tim, but we'll get there. Yeah, no, I I guess I can see what Timmy's saying there with how he's really wheelers. You don't have to be politically correct. I know, but, you can but, be a hundred percent honest because I think he's completely <laughs> off his rocker on number one and two. So much so I texted Jacob Wheeler and I said, Do you agree with this list? And he just said no. Yeah, Continue, now, Gray. my list would have Van Damme as number one. It would have Wheeler, and I 
that that's his personal though. I think uh, I don't know. I go back and forth. Cross your mind to put Wheeler at number no, one? Not as not at number one. I don't really think it would be like number two. I would think then you'd probably go back to like the Clun or Roland sort of deal there, but just for like longevity. But it's hard though like when you're comparing over generations where you Kevin's done it for a long time. You don't have to qualify. You could just say you disagree with it. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so this is where else I go with it then. Um. I have a I have a bone to pick with two with two veteran anglers. Rick Clun at number five over uh you have Mark Davis and Aaron ahead of Rick Clun. The potential for Aaron was limitless. Um and obviously if we were just going to go on pure talent, Aaron is undoubtedly in the top five top three i like him right there and in, in in number four but how can you put rick clun down in number five i mean rick clun i i think um i think classic wins don't hold what anger the year titles do um and i also i also think rick you you could look you could look at um i mean bill dance has three of them you know what i think rick has one anger the year title and and that's not a knock that's not a knock on Rick. Rick's longevity to me. What's the most important, amazing thing about Rick Klein? Because I'm 50 and I know what it's like. The most amazing thing to me about Rick Klein is winning tournaments at 70 years old. To me, that's more impressive than his four classic wins. And um, so I, I think that is man. I want to ask you something. So we did uh, we did. Uh, uh, an event together at St. Clair. What's that been four years ago now? You and I were in the boat together on the practice. Yep. Now that's probably been six, five or six years ago. Yeah, it was a while. It was a minute ago. You and I had the same argument. Do you remember that? Yeah. Wheeler, Wheeler goes by and I said, that guy will be the best that's ever done it. And you we had were in the, were we in the Detroit river? We're, we're we not the St. Clair river. We were in the St. Clair river. And, yep. uh, and, and that was mine and your debate for the next hour. Um, I just, I'm going to tell you a story. So we were, we're in Maine at a cup event. This was yep. about six, six or seven years ago. And I'm, I'm competing against Wheeler. I don't remember who all was in my group. I know Ike was in it. Skeet was in it. Uh, KVD, Andy Montgomery. It was our group of eight fishing that day. And, and it was a terribly tough lake for Maine. Most of the lakes in Maine are incredible. Wheeler's down going into the third round. He's probably last or next to last. He ends up winning the Brown by like 40 pounds. He gets on a deal where the fish are just out over bait fish in 50 foot of water and, and it, no forward facing sonar on our boats. We had to use the major league fishing boats. And, and that is the typical of, of what we see, especially in the cup events when we have no practice, no knowledge of where we're going. And, um, and Kevin nominated cup events too. There, there's no doubt the, the, the debate is there. The, the same thing with Jordan, LeBron, the whole debate. I personally think Wheeler has done it at a higher level than it's ever been done. And, uh, and I think he's relentless. Um, I think, um, you know, when you're, when you're winning the St. Lawrence river and you drive three hours on your one day off to go fish Champlain, instead of getting your tackle done and, and come back and win the tournament and then go to Champlain and wrap up AOI. Mm -hmm. I, I just think, um, I just think those intangibles, um, to me, I pointed out Kevin has the best resume ever. Kevin, Kevin, my favorite thing about Kevin is who he is. It's, it's, it's not his accolades. If you put that kind of pressure on people that, that you carry the sport around on your back, the way Kevin has done and, and your peers love you the way Kevin has had that happen to me, that's probably, um, 
that's probably bigger than to say who's who who is the best that's ever done it. Um, there's no debate about that. Ke Kevin has transcended the sport. I personally feel Wheeler has fished at a higher level um, than than anyone. And and um, anyway, I it's just having fun with something. Like no, that. I like it. But let me let me ask you this: You were one of the two or three guys from that 2007 to 2011 or 12 time frame that when we went to a TVA, I spent some time with you on Kentucky Lake. I've told that story on the show before. I mean, it was basically for a five or six year period, who's going to finish second. And the guy had 150 boats around him and would still go out and would win. Like, you know what that was like out there on those lakes. I mean, did you not feel like you were one of three or four guys who, if everything went perfect, you could compete with them out there? Yeah, I, I would I would even say my best stretch was from 2000 to 2006, seven. Kevin's Kevin's was probably in that time frame that you mentioned there. I was fortunate and a lot of us were that that I competed against Kevin during his best moments. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Wheeler, if you look at what Wheeler done at 33, with probably five years less to do it at what Kevin done to 33, I don't think it compares. And I think you're going to see uh, unless something crazy happens with Wheeler, um, we never know in this world, you know, but yep. I, I think you're going to see for the next seven or eight years, him be better than what he has been right now. Um, you know, Marty Stone said it best one time, when you're 25 to 30, you have the energy, but you don't have the experience. When you're when you're 30 to 40, you have the energy and the experience. You're in the um, wheelhouse, Gray. Ooh, there we go. I'm ready. <laughs> so, you got it. So, I, I, think it, I think it's great debate. I, I think Edwin could be considered. Yeah. You know, top, really? Top you think Edwin spirit. could be could be top three? Because I think I, you got him way too high. And I love Edwin. And I'll welcome a phone call. He could come on and discuss why he thinks he should be uh, in your list number six. But I think there's a lot of guys who have accomplished what. Uh, now, is Edwin a discussion for the top? Like, I yes, he's in the top 15. But I think there's a lot of guys. I think he's maybe like 12 to 15 if yeah, I see, was to make a list. See, I don't I don't think it's about titles as much as how the, the, the tough thing about bass fishing is this right here. This is the tough thing. Um, it's, it's almost like the Daytona 500 in NASCAR. Why is that race bigger than anything else? It's just a weird phenomenon. And, and the classic has looked at mm -hmm. it that way. Let me ask you this. Does the classic hold the same credibility now that it did when Kevin won? I think the Bassmaster Classic is the Bassmaster Classic. That, that's not what I asked you. Do you think it still hosts the credibility of those titles now the way it did 10 years ago before everyone, everybody went to the Bass Pro Tour? No. I agree. That's not a knock on the guys winning it. It's no. not. Um, I, I think if you, look at the, if you look at the Bass Pro Tour, that is without a doubt the best – roster that has ever been in the history of bass fishing when you and and and, and i'm gonna tell you jason christie and greg hackney um are, are now at bass or two yep. hackney was on my list christie very easily could have been yep. on my list so Nick needs to be up there too I, I, two I angler think, of the year seven elite series wins what he does for the sport his natural talent his average finish Nick yeah. is is very deserving of that list i i i think he possibly could be I really do. That's not a knock on Brandon. Mm -hmm. My my point on 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 what Jacob is competing against. Yeah. You you think about taking the best out of BASS, which was the top one uh, 
the elite series was the best group. Yep. And then you go take the best six to eight. When you bring in again Gagliardi, you bring in Dudley, you bring in Tria, uh, you bring in Andy Morgan, you bring in the best guys from the other league, the absolute best, the the top three percent. Um, and and what Jacob Wheeler has done against that group to me is uh, there is no bottom. You know, when, when you look at the other leagues, there has always been a bottom 10 or 15 percent that's just not as competitive. There's not a bottom on the Bass Pro Tour, and he's dominated it like, like it's unbelievable. Look at how many days he wins, not just events, how many days he wins. I mean, I, that's impressive, but I don't really care how many days he win. I, I, think I don't that, care if you're leading after the second period. I care about what the final score is and if you make the playoffs and if you make the finals. Like, that's cool that you were up four to one after the second period. But mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. That's it, what it, I, that's what I value on that. Like a day lead. Like, I mean, I hate it. Like when you have a good day and everyone's like, oh, great, you cracked him, whatever. Well, no one texts you after the first period when you outshoot the team 25 to three and you're up three nothing because. Yeah, and, and granted, he's one of the greatest closers of all time, too, Jacob yeah. Wheeler. You agree with what you agree with that, Gray? The the sports analogy there? Yeah, but it, the amount he does close out is impressive. It but is. I think I think that goes back to what Tim was saying earlier. When he gets out there and just starts practicing, just from watching, I follow it all. Like, and seeing how he does that, where he can get dialed in and just gets that much more yeah. of an advantage throughout the tournament, that that's unbelievable. Okay, and here's what I think you're including in this list, Tim, that I'm not giving you credit for that I need to. You said top 15 of all time. You're not giving a criteria as to why it is. I think you're including some of your subjective firsthand laid eyes on it, lived with these guys, worked with them, fished against them. And there is, you're including an element of natural raw talent in your assessment of where they rank. Yeah, it I mean, but I want to say something, man, on what you said about how titles are what matters, not winning a day. I'm going to tell you why that's different in our sport. Okay? okay. So every other sport happens in a day. NASCAR happens in a day. The World Series is a little different, obviously, it's seven games, but it's still happening day to day to win that game. Okay. And, and it don't change. The mound is always the same. The football field is always 100 yards. The Daytona track is the same every day. Um, if it rains, they all deal with the rain. What happens in our sport, you can have the mother load found and you did better in practice than anyone else. And then the weather gets you. That That's what makes, to me, winning uh, winning days different. And, and, and I, that's why I keep saying I feel like Jacob has done it better than it's ever been done. Um, it's not a knock on Clun. It's not a knock on Kevin. Those guys mm -hmm. are the, the beautiful thing. Guido Hibden should have probably been on the list. I mean, he went through about a 10-year stretch that he was just incredible. Um, Hank Parker, nobody realizes. he George Cochran. See, now, now I'm going to tell you something on George. On George, great angler, take away those two classic wins, and he's probably not top 40. See, that's where titles mm -hmm. go in that, that are um, – that make it different. I mean, George had years <laughs> similar to me where he finished bottom at the angle of the year list. You mm -hmm. know, KVD never did. Wheeler never did, you know, and, um, and, and that's why it would be hard to put Cochran up there. It's not a knock, but it's just, uh, did, was he as scary as KVD was and Jacob Wheeler was to compete against? No. And neither was I, you know, neither were some of those guys at the bottom 15, you know, Davey's a great example. When, when Davey was on, and he was confident he beat everybody. 
for about a five to five, six year yeah. stretch. And that was Davey, the dancing years. Yes. And in, in, in that 30, 30 to 35. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, David will be the first to tell you, you know, he, he was big into his kids. He was big into sports. He was big into other things going on in his life that wasn't bass fishing. Now, how's Jacob going to handle that when his mm-hmm. kids get older and, and they start getting involved? You got to rush home to a T-ball game. Um, you know, Kevin went through that as well. And, and obviously, Kevin handled it great. Um, to me, it's just about who who. When you went out there and you competed against these guys, um, I, I just that that's just my take on it with Wheelers. So. I like it. I like I said, I'm not a I'm not like personally bashy for it, but I just I I, I needed some explanation, and I have the ability <laughs> to get the explanation because I do a podcast about bass fishing. So this one, based on everything that you've said, then I'm going to flip this back around on you, based on everything that you've said, then Jordan Lee's got to be top five, Tim. Very and much. he does have the back-to-back titles, and he has the Angler of the Years on the mm-hmm. uh, BPT, and he's won a bunch of rounds and is in the top five. Now, is he as terrifying as Jacob Wheeler there? Like, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, Jordan's not going to, like, punt a puppy to win a round. I don't think he's, he's a little <laughs> bit more mellow. But I think maybe he he loses a few points because of his – his uh his subtle intensity subtle. yeah that, that's probably so you know i think um i think you really put him in in the same element as aaron as far as pure talent that mm-hmm. that wants to do nothing but figure out a bass the rest of it regardless of it, I, I don't think aaron was consumed with winning i think aaron martins was consumed with catching a bass that was the coolest thing about that guy and i think jordan jordan is the exact same way um I think uh, I think a lot of people, you know, you, you talk about Polinick, you know, for example. I think I think Brandon's skill set is is he really is great at emotion with his fans. He his his videos, his 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 style of fishing, his energy level, mm-hmm. and I think that's what makes Brandon so good. Um, Aaron was I mean, the, the five elites and two angler of the years help too, but yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Brandon is, uh, I, I don't think he's top 15, I think he can be, okay, just like I think Jordan, just like you said, can be top five, maybe, maybe even more. Uh, because the, the sky's the limit on that guy, he just uh, he loves to fish just like Aaron did, and I think that's the coolest thing about him. I don't think he has a relentless, as much of a relentless pursuit as Jacob. I don't think anybody ever has, I agree. So um, I, I, that guy practices more um, and works harder at his craft than anyone I've ever seen. It's it's I don't see how it's almost a Kirby Smart mentality now with what George is doing. It's just a it's a mentality that I've never seen. You know, I, I'll give you kudos to this to Kevin. The guy never prefished. Even even when Kevin was in his heyday, he would tell you, "Hey, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I don't go prefishing." Um, if if Kevin did, what would he have done? You know, yeah. it's just. Uh, but I love it. It's great debate, and um, I think it's. Did you grow up fishing against uh, Jordan in college, Gray? No, was I wasn't. When I was doing, I was at Penn State, and I didn't travel down south a whole lot with it. it okay, but, were you there um, the same years though? I think we probably overlapped a little bit. I graduated in 2012, and I want to say he was like 13 or 14. So there would have been a little bit of an overlap, but I was not nearly as serious about like bass fishing back then like it, it was something i loved to do but it wasn't the uh end goal at the time 
All right. Uh, one more, and then we'll let you go, Timmy. Is uh, I feel like the longevity and the championships made and the top tens and the titles. I think Larry Nixon needs to be much higher on this list. I mean, the the guy's still doing it, and there's something to be said for longevity. Um, and you know, Rick Clun winning in his seventies is that, but as far as consistency and championships made and always a contender, man, Larry Nixon, no one's ever done it. Like Larry Nixon does is that at that consistent level, I'd like to see Larry Nixon somewhere between Mark Davis and Edwin in that three to six mark. And this, and this also goes back to the points of the quality of the person. Yep. <laughs> kind of like we talked about on Kevin. Um, yeah. Nixon, incredible angler and incredible person you just don't find anybody that will ever say a bad word about him but yeah and, and fritz after going back and look on it fritz probably deserved the the longevity of it probably hurt david a little bit as he is mm-hmm. he as he peeled off and a lot of people don't realize things that we know as far as the pros go with fritz with his eye troubles that he had that was never talked about denny brower's back troubles were never really talked about and um you say yeah. that with biffle too you say the same thing with Biffle. I mean, that guy can't even turn, and, he, and he's still winning out there several years ago, just having unbelievable years. Um, so there's a lot of that that uh, um, that doesn't probably get discussed as much that had a lot to do with it, but I could not agree more. When I put that list together, um, I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about it and having fun with it myself personally, mm-hmm. and, and Nixon is definitely one that could be top three or four. I really think it's arguably that Roland could be number one. Uh, for for how he did it for the length of time, um, and um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, definitely one too. I think it's Kevin Wheeler, and then I think it's everybody else. Kind of, I like it. I I, I appreciate thought provoking posts with with maybe a little tat touch of controversy. That's like the perfect post, and that post did it. Tim, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Kim, Kim woke up this morning and she was, she was telling me about that post and I had not, I didn't know it was going, getting as many comments till you, uh, you texted me this morning and, and Kim goes, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings that you left off there. That's the last thing that I want to do. Cause I, man, I'm going to tell you, Matt, I, you know, this for being in the boat with me, I'm a fan of this and I'm retired yep. now, but I'm going to keep, are you, are you retired, Tim? Oh, are you actually retired now? Listen, all year long, I was wishing I would have stuck with it last year. That stupid schedule come out, and I saw Gunners Bullet May, and I thought, man, I can give it one more time. uh, Yeah, I, um, man, I have too much fun with other things that we're doing, and and you can't. I I saw this thing Kim showed me the other day, Matthew McConaughey did. He said, man, at one time, I had 10 fires going, and I was making a C plus at all of them. And, um, and, and he said, I eliminated everything except for what I was really passionate about at that moment and things got better. And that's, that's where I've been. I've been there for gosh, seven, eight, ten 10 years now with just too many fires going. And, and, uh, and I don't like finishing 77th out of 80. I can't stand that. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was getting to me emotionally and I, and I still love bass fishing. I love teaching and that's my passion is, is teaching. And, and I'm just looking forward to, to doing that. So uh all right gray buck incoming rookie i know you guys know who each other are you guys aren't friends but you uh uh you've been there you've done that you have the titles the rookie of the years the the uh, championships gray is 33 coming into his first year on the bpt any advice that you could impart on gray that might make the the transition a little smoother for him let me tell you we all get together and talk as pros and i don't know 
what it is with these incoming guys, but gosh almighty, did they flat out catch them. This year, last year, Gray, you'll probably be the same with you guys coming in. Um, this is a cool group coming in that you're coming in with, Gray. So I think mm -hmm. uh, I think I think the biggest thing is is man, don't get wrapped up in score tracker because it will mess with your mind, man. When you start hearing, you know, Andy Morgan's catching them and you think he's flipping and you see him offshore somewhere, that's the kind of stuff that gets in your mind. But uh, but I think you're going to have a ball. Score tracker will get to you, though. Just just pay no attention to that thing. All right, that sounds good. I've had been on both sides of that. For that title championship, I was catching them like crazy, the smallmouth that one time. And then I actually got the fish, I think it was 21, the first BBT with you guys on the Rayburn when I came in third for Angler of the Year. Oh, and yeah. I was on I was on the complete opposite end of it and just getting my head kicked in. So, yeah, no, got to eliminate that, try not to listen to the noise and just do what I like to do. Well, when you, when you qualify for those limited spots, you don't stumble into it. So you know what you're doing. You're going to have fun. And uh, and the guys that have come in are just kicking tail. So we look forward to look forward to watching and see how you do, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. You still got a uh, Willow Oak Lodge rolling? We do. That, that I was out with my dad feeding our deer this morning, and our, our hunts get started here in, uh, here October 15th, so that's coming up. So we stay busy with that, our Profound Outdoors lure company, and then just trying to create as much content as we can and hoping helping somebody catch an extra bass or two. So. That was a fun one, Tim. That was. I love it. Hey, we could, we could have had a whole show on this. It just break down everyone in the category, you know. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh no! I called Ken. Here were here were my calls. I, I texted you Wheeler and then called Ken Duke. Oh, uh, Ken, Ken! Ken's who you need to have on for this. Ken would. Be I great. just had him on the other day, and he was he was losing his gourd over the list. He was like, "Well, if I was to come up with that list, he's like, it would take me. I would need some prep time because I would have to have." Uh, criteria that was weighted and then put it on each weight so there was some uh, statistical analysis to it and he's like you can't just say this guy's really good and put him high on the list but you can because it's your list and it's fishing right. and it's objective and subjective and i am now while i disagree i understand where you are coming from with the list and how you had some different weightings in there than i would have used but that's the beauty of the game and the sport and why we all follow it and keep coming back to it. Yeah. Hey, the thing about Ken, he would not have to look up any stats. He knows them all on his head. It's uh, he, he, I would respect his list. You need to tell him to put one together. I'd love to see it. All right. We'll do. All right, Tim. Uh, I have, I have one more question, a couple more questions about uh, seeing fish underwater for gray. You're welcome to stick around for the aqua view portion. You good gray for another five, 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm good. Or, or I can let you go. I know this was last no. minute. I greatly appreciate it, Tim. Oh no, I'm good. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna help out. Great, best of luck to you next year, bud. Hey, can't Thanks, wait Tim. to see how you do. And Matt, you're a fan of the sport, and that's what that's what gets me going, man. I All right, enjoy you. your retirement. See y'all. All right, guys. See ya. Bye. All right. Uh, that was interesting. I still vehemently disagree with the list, but yeah, the, it kind of uh, makes sense now because he's been around him. He's fished against him. He's implying a lot of his subjective talent that he has witnessed with his own eyeballs into that list which i still don't see how you don't put kevin number one you got your butt kicked by him for two three decades everyone yeah. did not just i mean and tim was one of the few that could hang with them offshore for a 10-year period so he knows how hard it is to do what he did he's, he's faced both of them so i guess that's where he's going off of him. this is probably the most recent thing he's seen so that's uh maybe fresh in his mind Re is that what is that called? Or like a recency bias or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I think that's where you go with. But yeah, no, I 
I still agree. I think Kevin, you can't not go with him as number one. All right. Uh, I did want to get a couple of selfish questions about the Oc review. Yeah. I've talked to you about the Oc review in the past. Mm-hmm. I know that it's played a massive role up north. Guys still are right now, in my opinion, the Oc review, especially up north, Clearwater Fisheries is like 2018 live scope. You got Scott Martin where you're trying to figure out why the hell he's always casting where his trolling motors pointed, but he's not really explaining why. Is that a fair assessment, Greg? It is. It really is. And it's it's getting bigger and bigger, and you see more and more boats with them on there. I would love to know right now in the Elite Series, they're practicing for the St. Lawrence in Ontario, how many of those guys have an Aquaview? You think it's half? No, I think it's a third. Really? You don't think it's caught up that yet? That much no, yet? I know it hasn't because it would that would be trickled down to the opens and all that. And okay. I think it's not it's not openly talked about as much as it is because those guys know how much of an advantage they have. Like, I mean, I've been talking to guys and maybe I shouldn't even say this because they're like, well, that's the last time I tell that. But I mean, they're dropping aqua views down and banging them on the bottom to create the silt no and doubt. watching all the fish swim into it and then pulling it up, not even fishing and going, okay. And knowing exactly how many smallmouth, how big they are, gauging how big they are based on the shape, the shadow, the outline of the fish, what its forehead looks like, where its (laughs) eyes are in relation, and literally dumbfounded that people are actually fishing during practice. Yeah, no, I'm right there. I picked one up the first year was 2020. I was going out to Lake Erie and one of my buddies was like, it. It was like, it was Becker. He was telling me about it when we were going out there. He's like, you got to get one. He's like, it, there's so many walleye and drum and bass mixed together. He's like, you can't be efficient. He's got to drop it. So I was like, all right. So I reached out to him. It was one of my contacts I actually had through Z-Man. So he sent me one and I was like, man, this is really like, you learn a lot with it. So I started playing with it. And then the last couple of years, I started working with Aquaview after that. And I think there's more guys than you think even that using it that this won't talk about for this exact reason. So like I got the partnership with Z- our Aquaview. So I got to kind of promote it and talk about it. Yeah. And, but it's, I, I do some guide trips on the side and I love to idle and we'll go graph something and I'll drop a camera on it so the guys can really see what they're looking at, put the whole picture together. I can't tell you how many guys have gone out that right after that and bought one because it changes how you fish and how you practice. And if it's a place you go to a lot and you're going to be, you have a two lakes say around your house and you really dialed in on it, go drop that on areas that you fish and catch them already and see what's down there for real. And it'll help you immensely in breaking down the rest of the lake and finding those little sweet spots and putting more fish in the boat because of it. And you just have it like wired right into your electronics and it shows up on your screen. just like you hit a button. Yep. It's called the multi view. Um, it hooks right to the HDMI port in the back of my Lawrence unit. I believe Garmin has a, one of their units. You can do the same thing. I don't know about Humminbird. I'm not as familiar with them, but the display is awesome because you got that great glass on your fish finder. And then you got, I like the bigger one. I use both. So I, there's the micro revolution. I actually brought that one over during the break, but it's a little guy. If you're looking to get started and you don't have a unit that's yeah. capable of hooking up, it's tiny, quick and easy. It's got this little um, reel. So your line management, super easy. The other one you have to like fight fly a little fishing. Bit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you <laughs> drop it. You got your camera um, right there. You add a little, they have this weight that you add to it. I'll actually add a couple, take a couple like 
one ounce, two ounce yeah. chunks of weights. I'll add it to it so you get down faster. But there's two options. So if you're trying to get into it, that can really get you going quick. But uh, I have a hard time going places and not dropping. So the idling deal we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, if I idle across something on a lake that I don't know anything about, and I'm looking at it, I'm trying to figure out what it is, I'll go across it one direction, I'll go across the other. If I still can't tell, that's where you just drop that camera down. Mm -hmm. Eliminates any question of what you're actually fishing. How does it work? Like, let's say you've only got like, let's say it's like a grand lake that has decent visibility, but it's not a clear lake. Is it still beneficial for that even? You have to have sun then. If you if it's not a clear lake, you have to have some sunlight, um, but it's not going to work in the mud. Like, grand... Uh, you just drop it down, it's just what brown. You, what, yeah, what do you have? Like, three foot visibility? Yeah, or four foot? Three, to, yeah. three to four foot visibility down south. So you'll see those fish. If you drop it into a brush pile... The bass are curious. The largemouth, the smallmouth okay. are super curious. They'll swim over to them and look at it still. It's just you're not going to see this fish from a little bit further distance. But the one little lake that I do a lot of stuff on around here, you got right now about five to six foot of visibility. And I can see them probably eight feet away from the camera, something like that. Wow. Yeah, so it, it's pretty good. It, 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 you just need to have the sunlight. If it gets cloudy, then it kind of shortens that up. All right, let's close out the show with some controversy. Let's see. What are your top your top three? Timmy top? gave us his top three. What's who are your top three? Oh man. Um, you gotta go Van Damme's one. Yep. And then I would think I should have been thinking about this when we were talking about the list. Um, I know that's why I hit it on you. You <laughs> knew that I um then I would go uh, probably clun too. Okay. And then I like Aaron at three. I, I think you're going with some potential there too, but if Van Dam wasn't doing what he was, he would have been the next guy just like that. Yeah. He had so many second place finishes and been so close so many times. I got KVD one, Clun two, Nixon three. To me, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'm waiting a lot on yeah. longevity. I'm waiting a lot on tournament statistics, yeah. championships made, titles. Mm -hmm. Um if we were doing most influential or famous bass fishermen, that's totally different. Now that that has a little bit in there. Now you're talking about the Roland Martins and Jimmy Houston's and Bill Dance's Bill and Dance for sure and all them. But uh, I mean, Bill Dance I think is number one. Bill Dance, yeah. Roland Martin. I think the Bill Dance, Roland Martin talk is like KVD Klon. Uh, no, but if somebody, if you talk to somebody that doesn't know a whole lot about bass fishing, but they know like just a little bit that's who they picture when you say a bass fisherman yeah. they picture bill dance in his orange tennessee hat and going out there and sitting in his chair and catching but, giants and listen i also want to clear something up what tim was asking about the classic i mean i was mm -hmm. brutally honest in that but there was a there there was that time period during that transition where all the guys that i grew up with all the guys that were winning they weren't fishing in the Bassmaster classic mm-hmm and so did the importance and the weight of the Bassmaster Classic change? Absolutely not. I mean, I still look at it. Hank Cherry as a back-to-back -back Bassmaster Classic winner. And uh, the reason I think he's not like on top of the mountain is partially he's just to kind of keep to yourself, grind it out, hard-working type of guy. I, I didn't really want to get into this with Tim now, but do I feel like the classic has returned to the weight of uh, and the days of old 
Like, I don't think Tim has been to a classic in the last couple years, like sat in the stands and watched it and really followed the talent level and what's going on at the elite series. Yeah. It's, it's freaking there. Like it never left, but you look at the guys that are fishing in it now and the way they used to, to, to scream for Edwin and all that is the way they're screaming for Seth fighter and the way that they're screaming for Brandon Politic. And you've got uh, the swim you've got, I would put the talent levels now very, very similar between the BPT and the Elite Series. And I don't think a lot of, of the older guard, which I'll put Tim in that. He just retired. You can be called the old guard when you just retired. Understand how much talent is over on the Elite Series in that 28 to 35-year bracket just like there is an immense talent, which we've seen with what, you know, you and Becker going over there, Dakota Ebear, Jacob Wheeler, Jordan Lee. I mean, the list goes on and on, uh, Dustin Connell, but it's a, it's a really, really good discussion to have. Did that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. If it'd be cool if they did, what was it? The old, uh, Toyota, the TTBC. Uh, yeah. Top yes. 15 they, from the PAA top 15 from the uh, FLW yeah. top 15 from the elite series. Did you ever fish that? No, I never. Dude, um, so behind stage, it'd be like, it'd be like Luke Bryan playing. Yeah, and you're like, holy cow, there he is. And then you're behind stage, and like everyone who's back there has a fish over ten pounds or eight pounds, and then there's just cases of assorted alcohol, and everyone's <laughs> having a great time. Someone's gonna win a tundra. Someone's gonna win two hundred fifty thousand dollars, a crystal vase. Then you get to go into the VIP deal and listen to big time country stars. It was a party, but here's the thing in fishing. You can't, there's a reason why the angler of the year and Timmy puts a lot of weight on angler of the year, which then he, if that's the case, he should have rolled Martin higher, but, uh, uh, you can't judge it on a one-off. No, not, you can't like compare. Like, like you'll never beat yeah. Nadal in tennis. It doesn't matter. You can do that on a one-off. You can do tiger and golf on a one-off, but because of the uncontrollable variables, Bass fishing can't be a one-off. It has to be a large sample size. So you can't have like one tournament to determine supremacy. You would actually need like a, remember when they did like the, the Canada cup between like Russia and Canada with Lemieux and all them. And they had oh, like yeah. that series and all that. You would almost need like a cold war series <laughs> to determine who it really is. Sure. And at that point, it just needs to become one league again and to be able to figure that out. This <laughs> would be the really the only way for that to happen. I would, I would be very like, I don't think anyone saw the golf, the live, mm -hmm. uh, PGA tour merger. Now that might've been more out of necessity because of how many zeros we're dealing with on the end and, and lawsuits and litigation. I would, I would love to have a crystal ball and look in the future is what bass fishing is going to look like, uh, five years from now, because you have to remember no one had even considered the thought of this MLF thing in the general fan base. And in a year and a half, it went from nothing to completely separate different leagues and holy cow, we're counting every fish and it weighs a pound. And then think of how many changes it's gone through. This stuff happens, changes fast. Mm -hmm. Who knows what the hell we'll be doing in five years. Everyone might be fishing for the classic. I, I just, I can't imagine the classic not being around. No, if they, for some reason ever did go back in the one, Deal. I think you have to keep it called the classic at that point. I was kind of surprised with Major League Fishing when they um, bought FLW. They didn't call their championship the 
Hard the cup. cup. Yeah. Well, because it, it, it had such prestige to it. It did. It had gotten, I mean, dude, I see it. You look at the list of winners and the ways that that yeah. had gone down. That was all they had to hang their hat on when mm -hmm. it came to pedigree, like a, like a pedigree, a longevity was that cup. And they, they cut it completely out. And I think the problem you're seeing is people caring about Red Crest. It's a great title. I'm not saying it's anything, but is the emotional connection there? Like, I didn't grow up wanting to win Red Crest. You didn't grow up wanting to win Red Crest. There's people that maybe grew up wanting to win Red Crest, and you're sideways now, but it's all good. And, and now he's gone now. There's people who grew up wanting to win Red Crest. They're like 14 or 15 right now. They're in college right now. So you have to be able to have the longevity to stick around to make it. Sorry about that. To, Oh, that's fine. I was just saying you have to have the longevity in it. Like the classic, you can't just be like, oh, this is the biggest thing. It's the Brian Kirchel, the stuck in the lock, the the ounce tournaments, the history that's behind it is what makes it important. And you can't just automatically have that weight on red crest and you started to have that like you said with the cup and i'm not saying it won't be there with red crest it's just the people who are going to make red crest part of the fabric of bass fishing are 14 to 18 right now grace getting another call i guarantee someone yeah. called you and then tried calling you back you there yeah can you hear me sorry yeah anyway that right. was my little my little rant on that yeah no i hear you but it's interesting <laughs> Is there a point in my life where Jacob Wheeler might be number one on that list? Absolutely. How long do you think it takes? Another five years would you be willing to say it if he kept, keeps dominating like he is, or is it going to take more than if that? If he keeps dominating, it'll take 10 years. 10 years? Okay. If he wins a title every single year until 2033, yeah. then I might consider it. <laughs> but right. here's the thing. That's not well, out of the question. No, he very well may do it. <laughs> All right, a little bit of a hodgepodge of a show today. I greatly appreciate you sticking around with it and being a good sport, Gray. Yeah, no, I had fun. I always enjoyed jumping on with you and let me know uh, next time you want to do it. Good luck. Congratulations. All right, good luck with the rest of your year, man. We'll see All right, you. see you. All right, that was Gray Buck. Uh, great dude. Loves the sport. You know, he's he's one of the few guys that have competed in just about everything there is to compete in. He's won an open. He's fished in a Bassmaster Classic. He's fished in Forestwood Cups. He's fished in he's, he's fished in a lot of stuff. So I expect to uh, to see him kind of follow in the footsteps of uh, what Becker did this past year as far as coming on and being an immediate impact on the BPT. Also, big shout out to Timmy Horton for jumping on. Uh Congratulations and best wishes in your uh, second retirement. Did a little bit of a Tom Brady act there uh, coming back this year, but a fun list generated some good discussion. Uh, and the guy does know what he talked, what he's talking about. So uh, tomorrow, day four with Frank Scalish. And other than that, we'll see everybody then. Later. Later.